Well, friends, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, we're, we've been looking at the past few weeks, the, really the life of Samuel, and we're coming to, uh, we're getting close to the conclusion where there is this, where Samuel's life is, he's passing the baton. And so this is a passage where we see it, really a prophet's farewell to the people. And this is 1 Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 25, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version, and you can follow along in your own Bibles or on the wall uh, behind me, but this is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. Let's give our careful attention to God's word that he has given to you. Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have carefully listened to everything you have said to me, and placed a king over you. Now you can see that the king is leading you. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have led you from my youth until now. Here I am. Bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Whom have I wronged or mistreated? From whom have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? I will return it to you. You haven't wronged us, you haven't mistreated us, and you haven't taken anything from anyone, they responded. And he said to them, the Lord is a witness against you, and his anointed is a witness today, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, and who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt, is a witness. Now present yourself, so I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord, and he sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we abandoned the Lord and, rescued, and worshipped the Baals and the Asterisks. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you lived securely. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, No, we must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you do not rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will Follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord, and on that day the Lord sent 
thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we won't die. We have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for yourselves. And Samuel replied, do not be afraid. Even though you have committed this evil, do not turn from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away to follow worthless idols, worthless things that cannot profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people. Because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. And as for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given to us. How we see a picture of Israel's life and their life with you. And we see a picture of your faithfulness to them. So be with us now as we consider your word. May we see your love and your care for us this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have you ever seen a trial? Have you ever seen a trial? How our judicial system should work, at least when it comes to criminal, a criminal judicial system, how this would work is that there would be opening statements, that one side would present their case, and, and there would be an opportunity for a rebuttal, and there would be this give and take, this back and forth, that there would be this opportunity to see this presentation of evidence that a crime has been committed and there would be the accused and the accused would have the opportunity to defend himself or herself that there would be this opportunity to make this case that either one is guilty or innocent of course certainly there would be an opportunity for perhaps there could be a mistrial or an acquittal that a, a judge could be seen to have a conflict of interest for example but in this passage, where there are, we have a prophet saying goodbye, in a sense, to Israel, but what this prophet Samuel is doing is that Samuel is actually putting Israel on trial. That Israel is on trial here. That they have committed a crime of rejecting the Lord. And so he, as that's their crime, that's the, their charge, and he goes on to demonstrate and, and list the evidence that backs his case up. But in a sense, Samuel's opening statement, it is so thorough, it is so decisive that there is no need, there is in fact no opportunity for a cross-examination because here's Israel, who on one sense, at the beginning of this trial, they were actually unaware of their sinfulness. They were unaware that they have sinned against God. But Samuel's opening statement was so thorough and convicting that Israel changes their plea to guilty. There is no chance even of a mistrial because the judge here is God. That there is no conflict of interest. And the prophet, as what we see Samuel doing in the first five verses, first three verses, is that Samuel is a man of integrity, that he has cared well for the people of Israel. 
And so this is the trial of Israel, that Israel is put on trial here. And so one of the ideas that the Lord has for us, and this is the idea that we'll be thinking about this morning, the idea is that each one of us, each one of you, is on trial for your faithlessness to God. That is what we're seeing here in the life of Israel, and this is actually what we see in our own lives, that we are on trial for our faithlessness to God. So the first thing for us to consider about this trial is the evidence. This is the first point, that is the evidence. And as I said earlier, that there is no need, there's no opportunity for a cross-examination because Samuel's statement which goes on to list the evidence, says it all. And if you look at verse 9 with me, that the people of Israel actually have a history of forgetting who the Lord their God is. That Israel has this history of forgetting who the Lord their God is. This is not new, and this is their history. The charge is that they have forgotten who God is, but if you look at their history, we see that this is the case. And so Samuel begins his history with Egypt. That in Egypt, where God's people were enslaved by Pharaoh, that they called out to God to come and rescue them, and he did. He did this wonderful, mighty thing, these righteous acts that God has done for you and your ancestors. That's verse 7. And that some of these righteous acts would, were that God sent a prophet, Moses, to lead his people. It was also Aaron to help Moses too. That God sent the plagues to judge Egypt. That when Israel was leaving Egypt, God parted the Red Sea and he led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire or a cloud. He provided food for them with manna or quail. But this is the how God would care for and provide for his people. That he is acting mightily for God's people in the wilderness years. That's their history. But even when Israel was in the wilderness years, those years were marked by grumbling and complaining. That an entire generation, the one, the same generation that God rescued out of Egypt, that saw the ten plagues, that saw the parting of the Red Sea, that generation did not believe they could take the land that God promised them. In fact, we read this verse in Numbers. This was a verse that we looked at in our community group a week, and, a week and a half ago, that in Numbers we write, read this verse that this generation, they said about themselves that they were in, com, compared to those giants of the land, they were but grasshoppers. So here's this entire generation who saw God's great deeds, God's great acts of righteousness that God has done for his people, and yet they still said, we can't take the land. That we're, going, that we're not going to believe in God's word. And so then the wilderness years happened, where God's people wandered the wilderness for 40 years. But then jumping ahead, this is in Samuel's report, he jumps ahead to when they took the land, when Israel took the land and they began settling it. Verse 9, they forgot the Lord their God. And so God, in response to that, sends them judges. And this time, this time period of the book of Judges is marked by a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you look at the story of Judges, the story of Judges is actually marked by a downward spiral 
where Israel, every single person is doing what is right in their own eyes, is accompanied by worshiping false gods, the Baals and the Asherahs. And so it's, it's, Israel has forgotten who God is. And so they, caught, they cry out to God because they're suffering. And so God sends judges. This is verse 11. Jeroboam, that's actually Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. Notice Samuel is mentioned here as a judge. But he rescues them. He rescues Israel from the power of their enemies. And so here's Israel. We're seeing their history that Israel forgets. But while Israel forgets, what's God doing? While Israel forgets, God is faithful. While Israel forgets, God is faithful. That he proves himself over and over and over again to be their rescuer. We see that in Egypt. We see that in his provision for them in the wilderness. We see that as they come into the promised land. But this is exactly what Israel has forgotten. Again, that as Israel comes and asks for a king, they forget that God is their faithful rescuer, that God is the one who fights for his people. And, and so one writer Elise Fitzpatrick is her name. She describes this dynamic of what Israel is going through as gospel amnesia. That Israel forgets while God is faithful. That this idea of having gospel amnesia is that they are forgetting who God is and who we are. That we forget whom God is and who we are. And the truth is, we do this. You do this. I myself do this. We do this all the time. Where we forget who God is and who we are. And we do this in so many different ways. And here are a few examples of how we do this. A few weeks ago, I was doing something at home, and I honestly forget what it was. But I declared to Jennifer that I was going to do this home project. I think it might have been installing the kitchen faucet. I, I did not ask her. I simply informed her. I did not ask her what things needed to be done around the house that day. In fact, I did not even consider it whatsoever. I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And I just went about it. But the question is, is this the, really the right way to treat your spouse? And so when Jennifer asked me to do something else later on that day, how do you think I responded? Honestly, I responded with some self-righteousness. I was like, I just replaced the faucet. Don't I get a break right now? Does anyone relate here? <laughs> but where I go, the reason why I bring this up with our, this idea of amnesia, the, re, the point is, is this how you serve the one whom you're called to serve as a husband, as a spouse? And so in that moment, I was actually treating Jennifer with some irritation instead of my bride. I thought it was like my day off to serve my own little kingdom as opposed to serve God's kingdom purposes. That's just one example right there. Another example is that when you wake up first thing in the morning, what do you do first thing in the morning? Like, do you reach for your phone to check your work email? Do you reach for your phone to check social media? Do you reach for your phone to read your Bible? Or do you reach for a Bible itself? Because no matter, whatever you're doing in that moment of reaching for your phone to check your work email, you're actually saying something about your identity that you are a worker. If you're 
looking for your phone to see what happened on social media, to see what you've missed or whatnot, you're seeing that your identity is coming from being in the know. Whereas if you reach for your scripture, you're saying that your identity flows from being the treasured possession of God who has words of love for you that morning. See, in, in all these examples I just gave, that what happens in our life is that we forget that God is faithful to us, and we are actually forgetting that he is our rescuer, that we're having this gospel amnesia, that we're forgetting who God is and who we are. Because when we remember what, who God is and who we are in light of his love for us, our lives should change. Our relationships change. How we act in our relationships changes as well. But this gospel amnesia is seen all throughout Israel's history. We see that in their wilderness years. We see it in the years of the judges. We also see it in their request for a new king. That going back a few chapters, Israel literally says, give us a king so that we can become like the nations. That Israel was willing to stop being the holy nation. Like this idea of holiness, has, there's many aspects to holiness. But one of the ideas of holiness is that you are set apart, that you are meant to be different. Jesus talked about it of being like a city on a hill or assaulted the earth. Moses in Exodus 19 is that a holy nation, that here's Israel meant to, to be set apart, to be different from the other nations. And Israel's willing to say, well, forget that. It's gospel amnesia. But Saul makes this even cl- clear for us, that up until this point, we're seeing a lot of different reasons for them to want to have a new king. On one hand, it was a rejection of really Samuel's dynasty, of his sons ruling as judges over them. That's one reason. But, but here's verse 12, that Samuel actually point, connects this to their own rebellion to God. That in verse 12, that when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, coming towards you, coming against you, you said to me, no, we must have a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God is king. That's verse 12. So right there, Nahash of the Ammonites, that's actually 1 Samuel chapter 11, where the Ammonites were coming to attack Israel. But the Israelites, they did not cry out to God, which they did in Egypt, which they did in the time of Judges. Now they actually cry out to Saul. They say, Saul, come and save us. So here's this picture that Israel has actually forgotten God's faithfulness. They have forgotten God is their rescuer. That their rescuer for Israel in, the, in their minds now is not Yahweh, it's now Saul. That Yahweh, who is their covenant God, who led Israel, who led Abram out of Ur and promised this very land that they're living in. That here's Yahweh who rescued them out of Egypt. Here's Yahweh who sustained them in the wilderness years, who defeated their enemies. That's Yahweh's history. And scripture is full of these faithfulness receipts that God is faithful to his people. And here's Israel. And scripture is actually full of their faithlessness. And so now they have this new king that they're crying out to rescue them. That they are not crying out to God, they're crying out to Saul. But what 
evidence is there of Saul's faithfulness to Israel? What faithfulness has he shown to Israel? The reality is none. He's, the brand, he's a brand new king. He's, he's untested. And so the picture that we're having is that God is faithful, and yet we are fickle. That we are the ones who are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, as the great hymn puts it. And so here's Samuel, going back to this trial, that Samuel is serving as the prosecutor. And friends, if anyone would go through your life, thinking through your your thoughts, your heart desires, and your actions, everything that you have thought, desired, or done in your life, what would the story be? What would the story be? And how would you respond? Because I know how I would respond. There would be feelings of guilt. There would be feelings of shame. But for the people of God, we should actually not be fixated with our sins and, and our guilt and our shame. Those are things to admit, absolutely, as we just did a few moments ago for our time of confession. But for the Christian, for the person of faith, you don't go back and wallow in your guilt, reliving the tragic mistake, the, the big thing that soured your life and feeling sorry for yourself. You don't go and make yourself miserable by bathing your mind in the memory of what happens, replaying it, reliving it over and over. Actually, for the Christian, what we do is simply go in faith, acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our wrongdoing. But even from that point, fearing the Lord, to say, like, here's what's true about me, and I'm also loved by you as well. And I'm going to be in fear of who God is. That's how we should respond. And here's the question. How does Israel respond? How does Israel respond to all this evidence that Samuel provides? It's actually a trick question. Because as Samuel just lists the evidence, Samuel does not give the opportunity for a response. There's no backtalking. There's no excuses. Instead, the judge, the judge renders a verdict. That the judge renders a verdict in almost in really two ways. That first is going to be with his power. And this is verses 16 to 19. That we see the judge's power on display for us. And as Samuel points out in verse 16, verse 17, isn't the wheat harvest today? And so Samuel goes on and says, I'm going to call upon the Lord to send down a thunderstorm. Simply what's unusual about this? Like, is it really unusual to see a thunderstorm? What's unusual about it is that the wheat harvest takes place in May of June. And it's actually a very dry time of the year. And so the best comparison is to think about a blizzard. Now, when was the last time you saw snow in, in the springtime in Pennsylvania? I, does anyone remember when they've seen, like, flurries in April? Yeah, I'm seeing the heads nod. But when in the world have you seen a blizzard in July in Pennsylvania? Actually, in history, there's only been two times there has been flurries in July. On July 4th, 1859, and July 2nd, 1918. This is according to Google. I wasn't alive then. And that's, I'm just going to believe Google. But there has never been a blizzard in July in the state of Pennsylvania. There have been flurries. 
And so the picture that, is, that we are seeing here is actually comparable to that. That certainly there would have been a drizzle, per, uh, a sprinkle, and so forth. But to see a thunderstorm would actually be like a, impossible. And Samuel simply summons one by calling upon the Lord. So here we see the judge's power. And so it's just comparatively, can Saul do that? Can Saul do that? Can Saul command the, the, the weather? Because he's a king, one who's going to make Israel just like the other nations. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. Samuel's a prophet, and this is a picture of God's power. That here is a picture of the faithful one, the one who rescues. That he is the one who has power, and he, the history of his relationship with Israel is that he has done righteous acts for Israel and their ancestors. But how would you, friends, respond to a blizzard in July? Grumbling, complaining, what in the world is going on here? It could be all sorts of different things. And so uh, recently there was um, a thunderstorm going on in, in here in Westchester, and, and my children are looking through the window, and there's some really loud thunder, and they're getting really, really nervous. And I'm sitting there, I'm frankly calm. I spent my childhood years in Iowa, and some of the strongest memories I have of living in the Midwest is when we would actually hide in the basement, taking shelter from tornadoes. But yet in our modern society, we have structures to protect us from natural storms. If there's a hurricane, move inland. If there's a tornado, take shelter in the basement. Thunderstorm, just don't go outside. Blizzard, make sure the heat's turned on. But such comforts that I'm describing for us. Such comforts were not available to Israel. So when there would be a blizzard in July, we may think, what in the world's going on? We would actually not naturally have fear. We would grumble and complain that the July 4th barbecue got ruined. But here's Israel. They, ha they are being exposed to the Lord's power, and they are afraid. And there's something that Samuel says twice. And it's something that we see throughout Scripture. And it's this. Do not be afraid. Here's the Lord's power. Here's the blizzard in July, the thunderstorm, when it's the driest time of the year. Do not be afraid. How in the world could God say that to his people? How could Samuel encourage his people to not be afraid? So this is where we need to know something else about the judge. That on one hand, we see the judge's power. That's part of his verdict. But also there's the, the judge's faithfulness. And this is verses 20 through 25. The, the point that we've heard over and over again is that God will not abandon his people. That here's God. Whose idea, think about this, whose idea was it in the first place for God to have a people? It's God. That here's Adam and Eve, and they're sitting in the garden. And who comes to Adam and Eve and pursues them? Here's Abram in the city of Ur. And who comes out of nowhere to speak to Abram? Who? Here's Moses watching his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. Who comes to Moses? It's God. 
that God is the one who had the idea and decided to have a people. And here's the wonderful truth of God, that God will never go back on his word, that God will never go back on his decision. In fact, what we see over and over again, that his whole reputation, his name is wrapped up in his people that he's keeping and protecting for his people, and if he, he would never abandon them, and that if he would do so, that would actually, he would be faithless. But the reality is that God is for his people because our God is a covenant God. And this whole passage is meant to make you think about the covenant that God made with his people. That this word of covenant is this idea that God has a redemptive relationship with his people. That this is a covenant that God has made with his people, and he reiterates it over and over and over again. He made it with Adam, he made it with Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and, and then Moses. Think about the covenant that God made with Moses in the wilderness, that if they would disobey God, then they would lose the land and suffer the consequences of their sin. They would be exiled to Babylon, to Assyria. And so a few months ago, we saw those covenant curses upon Israel in the book of Haggai. But God, going back to Haggai, God did not abandon his people, but God was faithful to them. So that if Israel would think about this covenant with Moses, that if Israel would obey God's covenant, then God, Israel would keep the land and know God's covenant blessings. And so, but we already know how the story of Israel goes, that they are actually faithless to God. They broke his commandments, and yet we know the story of God, that God is faithful. And God, friends, will never, ever go back on his word. For Yahweh will never throw away his people because of who he is. God will never discard you because of who he is. God will never give you up. He will never let you go. God will never abandon you because of who he is. And this is the picture that we're seeing here. That here's Israel, that they have been pursuing worthless idols, that they're pursuing a king that has no history of caring for God's people. And so they're rejecting God himself. And yet here's God who's continuing to be faithful to them. And he shows up in power in their life to remind them and to show them of who he is. But go back to the question that I opened this up with. Have you ever seen a trial? Let me, let's rephrase it. Have you yourself ever been on trial? It's a question that will naturally raise question, feelings of guilt and shame for sure. And, but the, the, because the reality is, and the humbling truth is, the answer is Yes. You have been on trial because you and myself, each one of us, have done great evil. We have been put on trial, and, but guess what happens as an outcome with the, of that trial? What's the verdict of that trial? We actually have been pardoned of our sinfulness. And that trial took place 2,000 years ago, far before we ever were born. But that trial took place 2,000 years ago on Mount Calvary. It was a trial of history that all our sins 
were placed upon a scapegoat, that all our iniquities were put on Jesus Christ, who was the embodiment of goodness, that he is the innocent one. He was perfection himself, and yet we killed him. And he's the living judge, that even as the judge, he's going to be the one who comes to judge the living and the dead, is how we say in the Apostles' Creed. And yet we were the ones who came to Pontius Pilate as a mob and said, crucify him. Those were our words. But yet here's Jesus, that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for iniquities, and that he became sin so that we ourselves would become the righteousness of God. And so there's this beautiful verse in the Psalms that as far as east is from the west, God has removed our sins from us because God has actually dealt with our sins upon the cross and that's there where we have been pardoned by God it's there upon at Mount Calvary where we were placed on trial that we were found to be guilty of forgetting God of our own faithlessness and even to the point that we killed our our king upon the cross and yet God is faithful but also God is forgiving so what we do with this is what Samuel says, worship the Lord. Do not turn away from God to return to worthless things because those worthless, worthless things cannot profit. They cannot rescue you. They are truly worthless. So we fear the Lord. We worship him with all our heart, considering the great things that God has done for us. So friends, we have a God who is faithful. We have a God who is our rescuer. And we have a God who is forgiving of all our sins. So the, the, the farewell, the prophet's farewell from this passage is to follow your faithful rescuer. This is our God who loves us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given to us. This incredible picture of your faithfulness despite our faithlessness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care, for your provision. And Lord, every single day, Every single day, every single week, Father, we turn away from you. And so, Father, we pray that you administer deeply to our hearts, that your spirit would give us a heart that would actually return to you, that we would have a spirit that seeks to follow you, that we would have a spirit that seeks to worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, Father, we pray for your nourishing grace in our life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.